0: Today, inshallah, we're going to focus on how to deal with qadr and qadr. And what does it mean? I want to talk to you about uh, how to, to navigate through it, and how to really face it. And, and then we're going to talk about patience and perseverance. And, and, and inshallah, we're learning through how to take care of ourselves in calamities and times of hardship as we all go through. So let's go through it insha'Allah Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In Islam there is a sixth pillar that every Muslim must believe in. It is called to believe in qadr, it's good and it's bad. What is qadr? And what does it mean good and bad? Sometimes the word qadr in the Quran appears in a different word. Sometimes it appears as qada' and sometimes qadr. Both of these words are the same thing. They're both synonymous. They go hand in hand together. But for those who want to become technical, to know the difference between qada' and qadr, is the following. qada' literally means a final order, a final decision, a fixed in advance, qada'. It's usually when a judge makes a judgment and it's final. In Islam, it means something that has been decided and ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all his creations, whether it is in terms of its creation, destruction or changes. Then we go to the word qadr. qadr means pre-measurement or set to a certain amount and executed, like rolled out, made to exist. Islamically, it is something that has been measured and set at a certain amount since the beginning of time so that it follows Allah's knowledge which comes before everything. So Qadar is what will be and Qadar is how it will be. In a very simple sentence, just take this sentence, you can say "Qada and Qadar is the belief, the Muslim belief, that everything that happens is pre-measured and predetermined by Allah and only Allah before he created creation based on his infinite knowledge, his will, his power, his wisdom, his justice and his mercy. So here are some other definitions. It's fate and destiny that is all from Allah. Fate and destiny is all determined and measured by Allah. Everything that happens is by Allah's will. Everything has been predetermined. Allah created everything, decided everything about everything and determined its destiny. Everything that will ever be is written, willed, created and known by Allah perfectly. Nothing happens without His will. And all of this happened 50,000 years before Allah created creation. That's an authentic hadith. And there are many verses in the Quran that talk about qadar and qadar in this way. For example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says inna kull shay'in khalaqnahu <laughs> bi qadar wa ma amruna illa wahidatun kalmhin bin basar Allah says in the Quran in suratul qamar uh, everything everything we have created in a precise measure and preordainment. And our command and matter is only but like the blink of an eye, meaning the end of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the end of time comes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the blink of an eye. It also means that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to create or to happen, He only says be, and it is. We see another verse in the Qur'an talking about qada and predestination, Allah's decision, when he talks about the story of Jesus, son of Mary, alayhi as-salam. When he was born of a miraculous birth, the Christians later on said that he has a father who is God. He's a son of God, they said. And others, they said, it was, uh, it was um, uh, Joseph the carpenter who عظيم, either married Maryam or they say he fornicated Maryam. <inaudible> God forbid. But Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala answers them by saying that Maryam uh, Allah says in Surah Maryam dhalika Isa ibn إِذَا قَضَى فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فيكون Very easy and very simple. Allah says, that is Jesus, son of Mary, in truthful fact. It is not befitting nor is it possible for Allah to beget a son. Far away is he from any imperfection. When he decrees and decides a matter, he merely says, be, kun, and it is. What does it mean? It means that Isa, السلام, was born without a father. People were so, uh, it was very strange for them to say, how, how? So Allah replies, says, he just says, be, and it is. Had he been born a normal birth, nobody will be shocked or astonished. Allah wouldn't have to say, be, it would be like everyone else. So it was a miracle. miracle. So brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees everything and says, be and it is. This is called qadr. And once it's done, nothing can change it. Qadr and qadr, predestination, fate of everybody, your destiny, Allah's will, nothing happens without Allah's will, is good and bad. What does it mean that there is good and bad qadr? First and foremost, brothers and sisters, we never attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anything bad. Nothing bad comes from Allah. And you might say, then how is qadr, fate and destiny? You say you've got to believe that fate and destiny comes from Allah, whether it's good or bad. Isn't that bad? Say yes. Bad is divided into two branches. This is in the Quran, and it's also in the Sunnah. The first branch is bad things that have no benefit or wisdom whatsoever. They're just plain evil. And there is no evil that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what you see in life, anything that looks bad to you, don't ever say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees evil things. Evil only comes from people, not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is the bad that comes from Allah? They are the ones that are mixed with a wisdom that comes out of them. Allah created the good and He created the bad. The bad, he created it only because from the bad, there comes good. Without some bad, there will be no good. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example, a scenario. A doctor, a surgeon, who you trust. If you took your child who has got a severe problem that requires surgery, And you saw that surgeon cut your child open and you see all that blood coming out and the bones being cut out and he's taking out his organs and replacing organs and stitching it up and giving him painkillers and going through months of agony will you still be grateful to that doctor or will you abuse the doctor you'd be grateful to Allah then to the doctor Thank you, doctor, for helping because my son's going to heal, inshallah. But was there pain? Was there ugliness? Was there some things that we see from our eyes as humans as bad? Allah created pain. He created some things that to us they look bad, but from them comes good. So when Allah says to believe in Qadr, that Allah pre-measures everything to happen, whether it's good or bad, it means that the bad is also good, but sometimes bad is a necessity. Do you understand what we're saying? Let's give another example. I always use this. When you learn how to walk as a baby, do you walk immediately without any pain? Or do you have to fall sometimes? There has to be sometimes some babies, if you're not careful, might get injured, but they're learning eventually how to walk. You would rather them fall a hundred times to eventually learn how to walk and not to, not be able to walk all their life. Nobody's going to focus on the minor harm. And by the way, anything that looks bad that Allah has decreed is always temporary. It never stays for long. That's why Allah says in the Quran, yusra, yusra. He repeats it twice, subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that we can drill it in our heads as a matter of fact with hardship is always ease as a matter of fact with hardship is always ease meaning the hardship which allah allows to happen there is always ease and goodness that's going to come out of it what is your duty your duty is to assume of allah your lord positively when does evil come out when you start assume of your lord negatively who created evil you that's when you live in agony Allah describes certain people that when they're faced with calamities, they face it with negativity and assume of Allah bad and they give up and they turn away from Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and there are people and there are, there are people among the world, in the world, who when good comes their way, they're relaxed and satisfied. They stay where they are and they're relaxed. They think, I'm all good. doesn't improve, just say, I'm all good. And when a calamity or something that looks negative happens to them, they turn flat on their faces, meaning they turn against the world, they blame everybody, they have fights with everyone, they blame Allah. Why? Allah says, Some of them, they worship Allah all their lives as if a person's walking on the edge of a cliff. Have you ever seen anybody walking on the edge of a cliff? Maybe on social media, when they try to get likes and all that. They're in danger. But the meaning of this verse is, when somebody's walking on the edge of a cliff, it means you're just on the edge, meaning a little wind or breeze may make you fall. So Allah says there are some people who follow their religion just on the edge. They do the absolute minimum, and any tiny little negative thing that happens to their life, immediately they lose the plot. Allah says there are people who worship Allah like that, not really fully into it. And then when a calamity befalls them, they fall on their faces like a person walking on the edge of a cliff. خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ This is the person who loses both the goodness in this world and the goodness of the hereafter. When we all understand that we are created in this world for a test, you will understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us this a long time ago for those who read the Qur'an. Heck, it's even in the Bible and in the Torah. They also received it, everyone. Let's go and have a look now at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said and what He told us about this life. It is in Surah Al-Baqarah And other surahs like it. You all know the story and the event of when Allah created Adam and told the angels to bow to Adam. You all know that story? We all know that story, alhamdulillah. Let's analyze it for a second. And I'll just go in the English, inshallah, first. In chapter 2, verse 30, Allah says, Just think, when your Lord said to the angels, Lo, I am about to place a vicegerent Vice-gerent on earth. Can you say that word? Excellent. Ten out of ten. I'll tell you what vice-gerent is. You can say it. Vice vice-gerent. Vice-gerent on earth. The angel said, Oh Allah, will you place on it one who will spread mischief and shed blood while we celebrate your glory and extol your holiness? He said, surely I know what you do not know. Hmm. I don't know if people read that verse and think deeply in it, or do you just pass by it? Because in this is the answer to everything in our life. Listen to it carefully. First of all, malak, angel. In the Arabic language, malak uh, uh, means message bearer. Malaika, plural. Message bearers. Which means that angels are not abstract, uh, depersonalized beings, they have a personality. They have a life. They are not just forces that just fly around. They are beings with a personality, as I said, of their own. And they are employed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the administration of His universe. They are His faithful servants. So they have a personality and they can choose to obey or disobey, contrary to what people say. They say that angels have no free will. Actually, they do have free will. Angels have free will. But what they don't have is desires and temptations. They don't have hawa. They don't have um, uh, those desires that humans have. It's the desires that make us go astray. And that is why they're obedient and they choose to obey Allah. So, he said, I'm placing a vicegerent on earth. A vicegerent, a khalifa. In جاعل في ardi Khalifa. A vicegerent is a deputy, a person who acts in the place of a ruler or a governor or a sovereign. Who is that person whom Allah is going to place on earth as a deputy, a person who acts in the place of a ruler? The ruler is Allah. Who is he placing? You and me. As what? We are the deputies and the ones who act under the rule of Allah. On behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have certain duties and powers in this life. يعني, that's why Allah said in the Quran, We have certainly honored the children of Adam. Allah honored us. And that is why Allah said to the angels, Bow to Adam. Now they said to him, Ya our Lord, not, not that they opposed him, they just said, Ya Rabbi. And what's, what's the wisdom behind making a new creation on earth and, and a vicegerent? Someone who's a deputy of you, Ya Rabbi, on earth? I mean, if, if you're after glorifying you and everything to be pure, here we are. You know, we're already pure, my Lord. We pray to you. We, we, we glorify your name. We're pure. You don't see us shedding blood. You don't see us doing corruption. I mean, if that's what you want, our Lord... I'm just paraphrasing what the angels mean. In other words, oh Lord, if this is what you want, we're here. We're already doing that. Why would there need to be someone else? Where's the gap? Are we missing something? Have we done something wrong? If you realize, brothers and sisters, the angels lacked knowledge about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. They thought that Allah wants people to always worship Him and be absolutely pure with no problems. But they misunderstood. Who is Allah? I'll give you an example. I can't go into too deep. It's going to be very deep. But let me give you an example. Who is Allah? We know Allah's names and attributes. Among His names and attributes is Al-Adil, the just. How is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to manifest this attribute of his, al-adil, without having vices, good and bad, adil, justice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ar-Rahman, the merciful. Mercy is applied when somebody deserves to be punished. How is mercy going to be manifested in the world, for example? Allah is al-Khaliq, the creator. How is he the creator when he's not creating? So, It's far beyond our mind, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is He who He is, and there's a gap. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created these people, us, with free will, with desires, with temptations, with ability, with knowledge that the angels don't have. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored us in this way. Angels, because of lack of desire, they didn't really have free will. What does it mean, have free will? It means they didn't understand free will because they didn't have desires and temptations. When you have desires and temptations, it pulls you, it pulls you towards the wrong. And so now you've got to make decisions. Do you understand? Without desire desires and temptations, decisions are easy. It's just, uh, you already know where you're going naturally. But when you have a vice that's pulling you, you have to make a decision against it. And this is where your rank rises. And this is how you get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The person who's already robotic or naturally like that. And a person who has a choice between tough times, challenging times and easy times and chooses to face the challenges and rise is more beneficial and greater to Allah than a person who's naturally like that. A person who struggles and strives against odds to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while they go through pain is higher in the eyes of Allah. And all of us are like that inshaAllah. It's up to our choice. It's only a short time. Then we return back to Allah, and there are no more challenges, no more tests. So from the beginning, Allah said, I'm creating those who will represent my laws in this earth on behalf of me. That's what, in other words, Allah is saying. Khalīfa. So this world is not a paradise for us. Allah is saying, you have to work in it. You have to defend each other, protect each other, uphold the justice. Don't wait for me to bring down the angels to you. You are representative, so go. Go and uphold it, and strive, and struggle, and I will be with you, watching over you all the way, and nothing will go in vain. Whether it's death, whether it's sickness, whether it's hardship, whether it's loss of wealth, loss of lives, loss of wealth, uh, loss of uh, fruits, loss of anything, anything. The Prophet told us a hadith in Sahih Muslim. There is nothing that a Muslim receives, whether it be worry, anxiety, fear, uh, uh, hurt from someone's hurtful tongues or anything like that, even the prick of a needle, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensates that person by forgiving their past sins and raising their ranks. Nothing goes in vain, brothers and sisters. And when someone can put that in their mind, suddenly qadr and qadr becomes so sweet. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had a business opportunity and you were going to make a lot of money, that's what you thought, and then the opportunity passed you. And you said, oh, no, another person took it, they made millions. I could have made millions. Allah replies to you in the Quran, Surah al hadid and, and he says, لِكَيْ لَا تَأْسَوْ عَلَى مَا فَاتَكُمْ وَلَا بِمَا آتَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ كُلَّ مُخْتَالٍ Allah says in the Qur'an It is so that Meaning Allah puts you through calamities It is so that You do not You do not What's the word? Stress, grovel, worry uh, Start to Keep reminiscing over the past opportunities that didn't come your way and also, do not boast and go overboard over the blessings that what Allah made come your way. For Allah does not like every boaster, arrogant, ungrateful person. Qadr comes in and tells you, listen, if it passed you, Alhamdulillah, this was your rizq, this was what Allah SWT had written for you. If you got it, say Alhamdulillah and don't boast. Just be normal. For you are in a test in this life everybody's going to leave everything behind anyway except their good deeds and their bad deeds they'll take them with them now the story of the angels moving on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught Adam the names of everything gave him knowledge and then he said to the angels tell me the names of all these things now there's angels that you know that that, that know everything about climate angels that know about gravity angels that know about fire angels that know about water each one's got their position but their knowledge is only in that expertise. Now Allah subhanahu taught Adam a.s. the names of everything. So he became an all-rounder. And then he comes up to the angels and Allah says to the angels, tell me the names of all these things. Collectively, I mean individually, angels didn't know. Adam was able to say it collectively. Which means that Allah created the human being to have an intellect to learn. And through the knowledge, you become a deputy. You represent Allah's rule on earth. But you need resources, you need help, you need knowledge. The angels were just dedicated to one or two things. The human beings have many tasks. When you have many tasks, you are more important. That's why you honor people who have a more responsible job, that has more accountability, and you respect them more. That's how you rise. A person who is a footnote that just sits around, does nothing except for them, worries about what makes them happy in life, is not an important person. It becomes a burden on community and society. You're not important. So that's how Allah made him. And when the angels said, oh our, Lord, oh, our Lord, glory to you. We have no knowledge except what you gave us of knowledge. Allah then replied to them. He said to them, After he said to Adam, tell them all the names. And then he said to them, Didn't I tell you that I know that which you do not know, O oh angels? What's Allah telling them? Remember the question they asked? Oh, our Lord, would you place on earth he or she who would shed blood and spread corruption while we glorify you already? So Allah says, I know that which you do not know. Meaning, I know in this creation and in the reason why I have created them. And I do know that there will be some shedding of blood and corruption. Yet there are things that you, O angels, can never conceive or comprehend, even if I told you. I know that which you do not know. So the angels then accepted it wholeheartedly and said, Our Lord, we only know what you taught us. We submit and we'll even make dua for your creatures. And the angels do make dua for us. It's in the Quran. <speaking> in <Hebrew> we seek forgiveness for those who are on earth. So brothers and sisters, what, why did I say this story? Because you know how the angels, they didn't know everything. They jumped to conclusions. The angels jumped to a conclusion and they thought That Allah wanted this, but Allah told them, no, 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 no. There's a lot of gaps you don't know about. And if I told you, you're not going to get it. So how about you just take me as your Lord and be angels as you are and worship me and just trust me? They said, exactly. Forever. Forever. What does it mean to us as humans? It means the same thing, brothers and sisters. Things that happen in our life, whether they look good or look bad. Number one, don't assume about what Allah wants. You don't know number two assume of Allah positively that there is something good coming out of it assume that Allah has a plan for you or a forgiveness from you and if it happens to you you don't understand why persevere through it and know that this will Allah will not let anything go in vain he will reward you or forgive you and it will all be counted for you as an investment for your hereafter to the point Where the Prophet ﷺ said in one authentic hadith, he said on the Day of Judgment there will be people who will look at other people who had gone through so much struggle and pain in this world and torture. And they would have not gone through the same torture and when they see what rank Allah has given them finally and the amount of rewards and pleasure that Allah has given them because of their patience and perseverance with calamities. The people who had lived in luxury here will say we wish we can go back to earth so that we can be cut into pieces with a scissors. Whole body with a scissors. So that we can be successful as these people are successful and be patient. But you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give this. See on the day of judgment that becomes a privilege. Here it looks terrible and horrific and nobody should go through it. But you see on the day of judgment Allah knows who would have passed it and who would have not. And so Allah doesn't give everybody the same tests and trials. Some people go through mental trials, some psychological and emotional. Some go through relationship breakups. Some people, they go through money problems, through food problems, through lives, through sickness, through death, through losses of some other sort. Losing your job, going into uh, problems in your life. Sometimes it's because of yourself as well. But then Allah says to you, okay, you still have a chance. Get out of it fix yourself and the road can come back so brothers and sisters this life is built on tests and trials and calamities Allah never promised you a paradise here this is not it this is not it until you get that out of your head you won't find that peace and contentment that you're looking for one person said to me imagine that you're on a day of judgment and watching yourself in a live movie and you are the hero of that movie you're the big star, and you're watching yourself wake up from bed, going to sleep, missing your fajr or praying your fajr, for example. Going here, going there, going to your school, going to your work, coming back, meeting with your parents, your cousins, your relatives, your spouse, your children, your, all of that. Doing, going to work, earning your money, eating, drinking, spending time with friends in your car, what you're listening to, what you're not, what you're saying. Imagine you're watching yourself every single second. And then he said to me, If you're looking at yourself and you see you're you're doing something good, like let's say you're praying, and then you finish praying and you say, Alhamdulillah, Ya Rabb. And you want yourself to keep going because you see your rank rising. And then suddenly you see yourself get up quickly and you just start doing all other things. What would you want to do on the Day of Judgment if you're, you're looking at yourself like that? You'll say, oh my God, look, there was somebody in need of you. You could have gone and given a charity. Just get your phone and give a charity. Or maybe, over there, look, your mother had needed some help, or your father, go and help them. Or, you know, that person who you upset, you could have gone and just say, hey, man, let's make it up. Or anything, you the idea is you will look back at yourself and say, I wish I can go back so that I can give more in charity and good deeds and change the fate of my eternity today. So a Muslim lives their life with the hereafter in mind. Brothers and sisters with Qadar and Qadar, let's investigate very quickly the story in Surah Al-Kahf. You all know the story of Moses with Al-Khadir? The story goes like this, that Musa alayhi salam went and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, you are, that there is a man whom we have given knowledge more than you. <inaudible> we have given this particular man knowledge from us. Min <inaudible> ladunna means they are not natural. It's not natural knowledge. It's not your common knowledge that fits with the laws of this world. We have given him, this particular man, some secret knowledge which we didn't give to other people. So Musa said, oh my Lord, show me where he is so I may go and learn from him. Allah told him where to find him, cutting the story short. He went with his apprentice and so on. And then he found the man. It is said that his name was Al-Khadir. We're not sure if that's really what his name is. But he was a righteous man. Musa said to him, Would you allow me to follow you so that you may teach me of what you have been taught of guidance and goodness the man did not hesitate and did not wait even a second and immediately shot back with a reply He said you will not be able to be patient with me he did not ask him for his name he didn't even say hello no salam, nothing just goes, can I follow you? The guy looks at him and goes, you can't be patient. On your way. Musa got shocked and he said to him, He will find me, if Allah wills, very patient and persevering. and I won't disobey you in anything. He said, okay. He said, okay, Then if you're going to follow me, then don't ask me about a single thing that I do until I decide to tell you when. Just like that. No small talk, no introduction, straight to business. He said, Very well. He walked. The man got up and left, and Musa Aizlam followed him. They entered, they, they were going to cross, they wanted to cross the, uh, the sea, and they found two brothers from a family of poor people. And they had a, uh, a boat which they used for their business. They would go from Uh, land to land. They said, can you give us a lift to the next land? So they gave him a lift and they were very kind to them and they gave him food, shelter, uh, clothes and water and all that stuff. And they gave him a room at the bottom of the deck. When they went uh, underneath, uh, al-Khadir took an axe and started to break and ruin the core of the ship. Musa immediately jumped and said, how could you wreck their ship when they did so much good for us? And immediately Al-Khadr said to him, Didn't I tell you you will not be able to be patient with me? And then Musa Asam remembered. It hadn't been a day or two. He remembered immediately and said, He said, Please, don't hold me accountable for what I forgot. And please don't lecture me. Just let me go. Don't lecture me. Just let me go. I understood my lesson. So they went, they went, until they reached uh, a young boy who was walking alone, maybe nine, ten years old. Al Khadr comes up to him and he kills him. Musa salam explodes. Have you killed a soul unjustly? You've done something terribly outrageous. Didn't I say, you will not be patient with me? And now he took, out a, he took out a word as well from the sentence. Like even that Khadr is getting impatient with the impatience of Musa. Musa said, He went straight to the end. He said, If I ask you about anything else after now, you can kick me out. Allah I got no more excuses. And learned immediately. They went, they entered into a little. A tribe or a town, and the town were horrible, horrible, horrible to them. They abused them, they swore at them, they spat at them, they gave them no food. They were very tired. It was a, a norm to, to give travelers food and that, and they kicked them out. On their way out, they saw a wall that was being built, part of a building. So Al Khadr goes and starts helping these evil, horrific people to build a wall, to construct the wall, to construct the building. Musa, a.s. A.s., after helping him, he goes outside and he goes, You know, you could have taken maybe some money or food off them just for the help that we gave them. I mean, you know, we helped them take an ajr, take something. He said, That's it. We depart from here. You have finished all your excuses. So Musa Aysen goes, oh, You know, like, okay, anyway, that's it. I'm gone. I wasn't patient enough. So Al Khadir. He said to him, but I will tell you the meanings of these three things before you go. Safina. As for the boat, the ship that belonged to the poor people that used to work on the sea, they were good people indeed. But you see, on their route, which they have to work, there is a king that was about to replace another king in a land, and he was very evil, and he was taking uh, every ship that looked good, their families and I we feared that these these people will not have a business and a ship to work with so I wanted to make it look bad so the king can leave them alone and they can continue on their journey as for the boy he said the boy was going to grow up and be a tyrant evil person to his parents and his parents are good righteous people his mother and father so your Lord wanted to replace that child with a better child for them and so that he can grow up to be a righteous one now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't force people to be righteous, brothers and sisters. He knows what you're going to become. He doesn't make you do things. Some people, they come up to me and they say, uh, Shaykh, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide me to pray. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide me to wear the hijab. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide me so I may be able to uh, fast. I say to you, that's not a dua, really, that you should be asking I say, Allah may Allah guide you. But guidance means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets you see what's right from wrong. Now the rest is up to you. You have to follow the map or not. Allah doesn't put a Holy Spirit in. That's what the Christians believe. He doesn't put a Holy Spirit or some entity that goes inside of you and suddenly you become Buddha. That's what Buddha means. Enlightened. He sat under a tree for a long time and he goes, Buddha, I'm enlightened doesn't happen that way. You are all, alhamdulillah, already enlightened. It's like giving someone a map and you're lost and say, take this map and go in that direction. Now, if you keep following that map, you will get to the direction. But if you don't trust the guy who gave it or you say, nah, stuff it. I'm going to sit aside. You're going to go lost. Allah gave us the map. That's called Hidayah. Hidayah is not some spirit that comes in you. The sky will not open up for you or the clouds come and give you a sign. The Quran is with you. You've already been guided. So, Allah does not force people to repent. He does not force people to become religious. He doesn't force people to do the right thing. He already gave you the ability. Just like you can do the wrong thing. And He doesn't make you do the wrong thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us then that He killed that child for Allah to replace him. And all four of them, in other words, the context of the verse is that they end up in paradise. And as for the wall, he said, I helped them build it. Truly they were evil, but that wall belonged to two orphans. And those orphans, their seventh great-grandfather was a righteous man. So Allah wanted to look after his generation all the way so long as they are righteous. Which means that if you're righteous and your children are righteous, Allah will keep looking after your progeny until the hundredth generation, brothers and sisters, subhanAllah. He said, underneath that wall there was a treasure, and those evil people, they were about to see the treasure. If they saw it, they were going to take it off the orphans, and the orphans will not be able to take their treasure to look after themselves. So I wanted them to gr- we wanted them to grow up when they're strong enough so that they can take their own treasure out. Obviously, they have some map or something. He said, I had to help them, and I didn't want to say anything to them. And then he says to him, fa'altuhu an amri. I did not do this out of my own decision. I did it, Allah told me to do it. So we don't go ahead, brothers and sisters, and start doing this stuff. Allah told him to do it. But the, the, the moral of the story, brothers and sisters, is Allah is giving us an example of one of the best prophets and messengers in the world, Musa alayhi salam, the one whom Allah spoke to in Mount Sinai, spoke to him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, kallamahu taklima, And Musa alayhi salam, the receiver of the Torah, Musa is among the five most important prophets and messengers in Islam, Musa Alayhi salam, Allah showed us that even he in the time of really strong calamities and tests, he was not successful. He could not be patient enough. So Allah gives everyone at their level. In other words, had Moses, Musa Alayhi known why Al-Khadra was doing what he did, he would be okay with it. But Allah is testing our patience, not giving us the answers. Because it is in your perseverance where your level rises, where your important matter rises. Can you imagine all the teachers giving you the answers to your exam and you become a doctor? You're going to kill all the people. A person in sharaid starting to be a scholar, a sheikh, masha'Allah, you cheat and they give you all the answers. You're going to delude all the people. You get your license for a builder. Next minute, everyone's under the rubbles. (laughs) Do you understand? And same with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Until we can understand this, brothers and sisters, we are not going to be able to understand calamities and be persevering and patient. Rasulullah finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, we will surely, definitely try you and test you and put you through calamities. A little bit of fear sometimes. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be hungry sometimes. You're going to lose some wealth sometimes. Sometimes you're going to lose loved ones from around you, death. And sometimes you lose luxuries and opportunities and crops around you Allah says give the best news to those who persevere and are patient the ones who when a calamity befalls them they immediately say to Allah we belong and to him we are going to return the ayah continues by saying these are the people whom no harm or fear is going to be upon them on the day of judgment and the angels will pray for them brothers and sisters patience is an act of worship which many people have forgotten it's called as sabr patience taken from the fruit tree sabr have you seen the prick tree is that what it's called huh prickly pear <laughs> prick tree prickly pear <laughs> delete it have you seen the prickly pear It's a nasty tree and it's got so many prickles on it and to to, to be able to get, if you're able to get through all the prickles and the sharp and thorns, guess what you get out of it? A sweet, tasty fruit that looks amazing of different colours. But you have to get through the thorns. You've got to be patient and careful and persevere and then you'll get to the sweetness. Imagine the life like that prickly pear you need to get through the thorns and eventually you'll get to the sweetness inshaAllah ta'ala and I finish by saying patience brothers and sisters has three types not only one three the highest one the first type of patience that we need to persevere with is worship and fulfilling the commands of Allah that is the first perseverance and patience because that requires patience Musa have to be patient. We have to be patient with our salat, with our fasting, with our sadaqah, with our values, with our morals, with our emotions, with our anger, with our mouth, with our hands, with our treatment of others, with our money. We all have to be patient with it. That is the highest rank. To be patient and persevere in the commands of Allah. As Allah says, Worship your Lord until death comes to you. Command your family and teach them salat and be patient with worship. The second level of patience is the opposite. To persevere and be patient and work hard and wrestle against doing sins especially major sins not the minor sins if they just come by that's okay so long as you do good deeds it'll wipe it away but so long as you don't insist on continuing sins and think that they're all easy and whatever so strive against sins as much as you can fight with them and wrestle sins in your actions sins in your words sins in your eyes sins in your ears sins in your uh, earning and spending sins in all that stuff your relationships Strive all to best. And the way to strive is also if you fall, you repent. Ya Rabbi, I'm going to repent, I'm going to try again. Repent, try again. But never ever give up. The meaning of patience against sins and command, meaning you don't give up. You don't say, man, I've missed so many prayers. I've done so many haram. I used to do drugs. I've done this, man. I've done a really bad reputation. I've got bad relationships. I've lost my family. I've lost this. And now I am a loser, man. I'm going to hellfire. Forget it. That is the shaitan telling you, Don't come back to Allah. And Allah calls you again and again in the Qur'an. Say, O you who have uh, burdened themselves and over-bashed themselves, thinking you have no more return because of your sins and your bad deeds. Do not give up from the mercy and forgiveness of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. So that's the second type of patience. And the last one, we end up with this. The last one everybody knows. And that's what most people go through. And that is when tragedies calamities come your way any kind of tragedy any kind of calamity whatever it may be what do you do with this patience you hold yourself together it doesn't mean you're not going to go through pain it doesn't mean that it's it's not going to be easy no hold yourself together until you get past it what does it mean to hold yourself together it means don't resort to immoral acts or, or give up on Allah. Hold yourself together. Hold in there even if you do not understand it. Even if you cannot find closure. Even if you cannot find a solution. Even, even. Hold in there. Do what you can. Ask Allah. Make dua. Keep going. Seek help. Get medical help if you need medical help. Use the, all the resources that you have. And don't give up and say, I am in ruins. I'm gone. Keep going. May Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you my brothers and sisters it's now time for Aisha and inshallah ta'ala next week we will continue our dars i'm not sure what topic it is but i hope inshallah tonight we've learned something beneficial uh, may Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you reward you and lastly we'll make a dua Allahumma ansur ikhwanana fi gaza wa fi oh Allah Give victory to our brothers in Philistine and change their state from fear to security, from hardship to ease. Oh Allah, protect them. Oh Allah, bless them. Oh Allah, relieve them from their hardship. Oh Allah, open the road to goodness for all of them. Oh Allah, return their rights to them and their property to them and their lands to them. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, return the Muslims to your deen. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive us for our shortcomings and accept our dua. Muhammad ala alihi ajma'in.